This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Holly Kakamis from Laguna Hills, California. And you are listening to the monthly Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network for June 28th. The fourth Tuesday of every month is all about your passion for horses. Nurture your knowledge with informative and entertaining interviews brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Well, good morning, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. It's good to be here. What do we got coming up in today's show? You have all kinds of things planned. We got a lot going on today, so just buckle up. We, uh, <laughs> we've got Sylvia Zerbini. She is producer and director of Briarfest Celebration of Horses show, so that will be exciting. Uh, we've got a POA judge and breeder, David Brewer. We're going to talk about breed specialization, which is kind of a hot topic. And then we've got the Humane Society of North Texas, and they are going to tell us about our adoptable horse of the month. Very good. And I assume things are going well over at Horse Illustrated? Yes, just busy as always. So we just put out our August issue already and working on September next. So are there highlights <laughs> in the August issue? Yeah, it's our trail riding issue. So we've got a lot of good trail riding stuff, about 80% of our readers trail ride. And of course, I love to trail ride out here in California. We see crazy stuff like rattlesnakes and it's pretty wild out here but uh it's one of my favorite hobbies so it's got some good tips for us it's funny my wife was just out in california now we live in you know ocala florida where it's hot and humid all the time and she was out at monty's place up in solvang california which is what about an hour and a half north of la oh yeah love solvang and her comment was i couldn't live here she said it's too do <laughs> too dry, too dusty. The wind blows, blows dust around. She she's like, I can't even breathe out here after a day of sucking up this dust. It's it's a whole different world when you're used to hot and humid. It is. It's basically the desert, but you know, we get our our rain and our green in March for about 10 a minutes week, and it's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Looks beautiful. The hills are green and then uh it all dries up and catches on fire, and then we do it again. So I have always lived on do. the East Coast, so I remember going to California for the first time. Jennifer and I were together, actually, and I, I just was like, everything is so brown. It's just, it's just brown. It <laughs> is. I know. It's sad. I lived in Kentucky a long time, and that really took me some getting used to. Oh, which to. is the greenest of the California, green of green. But, well, <laughs> you know, yes, Kentucky. went from the emerald land <laughs> to the desert, and yeah, yeah the rattlesnakes. <laughs> I guess you get used to it like anything else. Else, right? Yeah, no, I mean, the good thing is, you know, I'm pretty close to the coast. So we've got our pretty much 75 degrees and sun all year. So I can't complain at all because I'm a complete wimp about cold and winter. I can't do it, especially now that I'm used to this. So you know, it's got its upside, other than the real estate prices. <laughs> well, that's true anywhere. <laughs> Try moving to Ocala right now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Everywhere <laughs> is horrible. So we're just gonna, you know, hope they come down. Well, let's talk a little bit about Straight Arrow products, and then we're going to get right into our first guest because we got a lot to do on today's show. Have you tried Mane and Tail's Ultimate Gloss Shampoo and Conditioner? I know I have. That's what I use on Scooter. With its breakthrough technology and gentle pH-balanced formulas, Ultimate Gloss unlocks new levels of high shine and gloss, leaving your horse and dog un beatably clean. This natural ingredient grooming system is the boss of gloss as it removes dirt, debris, buildup, and dander, while moisturizing the coat, mane, and tail to prevent breakage. Not to mention, Ultimate Gloss is saddle safe, so if you bathe your horse and hit the trail, your saddle will not slip. See what all the hype is about and discover the secret behind the boss of gloss by visiting ultimategloss.com. Our first guest is Sylvia Zerbini. Sylvia is producer and director of this year's Briarfest evening performance, Power of Your Dreams, which she created exclusively for Briarfest. This year's show features thrilling performances from the horses of Cavalia that you won't see anywhere else, and it's available to all in-person ticket holders, as well as to online three-day virtual pass holders. Hi, Sylvia. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Holly. Thank you for having me. Well, we are excited to talk to you. Uh, I just, you know, love what you do, and I've been watching 
YouTube videos and it's just amazing what you do. So, um, but also I heard an interesting thing that I just have to get to first, which is that you are teaching trapeze classes. Now, is that something that anyone can just go down to your farm in Ocala and join? Is this related to horses? I got to know more about it. Okay. Okay. So absolutely. Yes. I'm teaching aerial fitness. Um, so I'm a nine generation circus performer. I grew up, um, being an aerialist and an equestrian performer. Um, so I was kind of, my mother was a trapeze artist and my father was the animal trainer. So I grew up doing both and I actually won quite a few awards for my trapeze performances back in the day. And I still, um, choreograph and train, uh, professional um, their routines and help them condition and help them with new routines and tricks. And so I've been doing that basically my whole life. And since the pandemic, um, you know, obviously all our contracts were canceled and being here at the farm with 20 horses, uh, I started panicking. So I actually started offering um, aerial fitness classes, which is, it's a hoop and it's probably about, two feet, three feet, like probably waist high off the feet, off the, off the floor. And uh, it's uh, suspended by a long cable with a swivel. So you're actually doing a lot of um, body lifting, but you're also using your legs and flexibility and balance. So I have classes with, I think my oldest um, student is 77 years old. She comes twice a week and they're, yeah, it's amazing. It's basically a lot of equestrians, older equestrians um, love it for the balance because this hoop kind of travels everywhere. So without really realizing that you're controlling, you know, the movement, you're picking your upper body, you know, strength you're using, flexibility and I've incorporated a lot of my old trapeze warm-ups and also blended some of my, you know, back in the day, bareback riding gymnastics that we did. Um, so by combining the two um, elements, it's, it's amazing. I have 10 hoops and um, I do it three, three days a week and my classes are full. Wow, I wish I lived closer to Florida because that sounds so much fun. And if a 70-something-year-old can do it, then maybe I can figure and it out. That's but. The, that's the thing, uh, Holly, when they first start, they're a little intimidated. And I make my classes super fun. You know, we choose amazing music. And I do it in my theater. I have a, an equestrian theater here at our farm. So we have, you know, amazing lighting. And we turn the lighting on. All the hoops are dropped down. And... Um, my advanced class, and I've got, you know, a lot of 60s and 70-year-olds even in my advanced because they've moved up within the last two years. So we end up doing choreographed routine, you know, we're swinging and and it's really, really fun. Um, you, and you're exercising at the same time. That's so awesome. I <laughs> Hopefully some of our listeners live nearby. They can check you out. Uh, that would be super cool. Um, and I also want to know more about your horses. How many do you, do you say you have 20 horses total? Are they all Arabians? So we have 20 horses on the farm. Uh, we have boarding and I do lessons every day, private lessons, because I, I didn't travel anymore since the pandemic. It just became a little bit challenging with all the horses. So yes, there's you know, 19, um, I've got 18 of my own and then the rest are boarders, uh, have a lot of problem horses that come in and, and train them. But the 19 horses, I'll be bringing, um, a group of 11 or 12 to Briar this, you know, in a couple of weeks from now. And I also have a group of six from the Cavalier horses that were, um, they were started and then I came in actually to finish them and put them on stage. So I've got all those horses and I'm actually going to be doing some stuff for the Arabian Association, being a little bit of their ambassador. So I will be uh, combining the Cavalier horses with my team and uh, doing a big performance with 16 Arabians. Oh, and wow. I also have some Andalusians. Can't forget the Andalusians. Oh, beautiful. Uh, why did you pick those particular breeds? So the Arabians have always been um, 
they've always struck me as being so beautiful. Since a child, the Arabian has always been one of my favorite horses. And then I found through the years that the Arabian was so extremely intelligent. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, Arabians are this and that. And with my experience with working with so many horses, I would always so appreciate it working with their extremely intelligent and people tend to do way too much with them. You know, they kind of catch you in the thought process. And if you're paying attention, looking at the eye, looking at the ear, they, they kind of read where you're going. So if you catch them in the thought process, you can have an amazing conversation for the type of work I do, liberty work and wanting to combine so many, I find that the Arabian are the most playful. So, you know, they like to kick and, and, you know, bite at one another, but it's all done in play. Where I find that when I do liberty work with just, you know, Spanish breeds, I find them being more challenging with one another. You know, it's always, it's always a question between each other. Like, you know, they, they can never just have fun and go through the motions and, you know, do a nice, easygoing routine. It's always, um, they, they always have to be, one of them always has to be the boss. So then I have to remind them, no, I'm the boss. There's no <laughs> kicking or biting when I'm around. So the, the Arabian, does, they're just so playful. They're smaller. They're, I can get more, you know, in a, in a ring together. So I don't know. I, I think the Arabian... Starting as a little girl, that's my first love with the Arab. And uh, I've always just stuck to Arabs. That makes sense. I love it. And they, they do look absolutely gorgeous, the videos I've been watching. It's amazing. Like you said, they have a certain spark and playfulness. It's, it's really beautiful. Um, and you said you have nine generations of performers. Um, that's a lot. What, how far back does that go? And what type of performing have they done? So how exactly how far back does that go? I should look that up. So I don't want to say anything stupid. So we would have <laughs> to figure out you know, nine generations, but uh, in the archives. That uh, sounds like about a thousand like, years to me. Um. <laughs> it's, it's no, it's not a thousand years, but it feels close to it. But it's amazing. All the, the eight, uh, the V8 movies that they have and um, some of the photos going way back. It's, it's just crazy. And um, my father's family was one of the first um, to cross the Sahara Desert, um, you know, with animals and wagons. And they did a whole circus out, you know, in Algeria. So it, it just, there's a lot of the roots. I would have to bring that up. And I always mean to, but, you know, having so many horses, <laughs> trying to find extra time to do those little special things just seem like they never come around. Sounds like a book in but the making, though. You're just a book about your family history would be so interesting. You know, it's funny that you say that because um, sometimes, you know, talking to my grandmother, she's just recently passed, but the the, the stories and the, the papers and the newspapers and all the stuff that they have, I think to myself, this is a movie in the making um, from my childhood growing up in the circus. I mean, my backyard was, you know, filled with animals. I learned the silent language doing turnouts, you know, with stallions. Um, It's just, when you think about it now, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. But nine generation, you know, my father um, worked wild animals and then my mother um, did trapeze and they actually met in the United States. My, My mom is French and my dad, you know, came from um, from Africa, and uh, he's Italian French. And they met um, here. There were scouts back in the day that would go around and they would look for talent, you know, performers, and they'd hire them and they'd bring them to the states and they would go perform on Clyde Beatty and all these different kinds of circuses. And that's where my mom and dad met for the first time. I think my mom was fifteen and. My father was 17 and they got married very young. And then my dad, by the time he was in his 20s, bought his own circus. This is a book, I'm telling you. This is a book in the making. So you please tell me your dad, being Italian-French, spoke with his hands all the time. 
Oh, for sure. It still does. <laughs> okay. Very dramatic. Yeah, it's it's in the blood. My my father actually was supposed to be he was approached to be the Tarzan and the Johnny Weissmiller, I think his name was, oh, that yeah. did the original Tarzan. And my father turned the part down because he made more money back then in the circus than he would have doing the TV show. Oh we all want to choke him now. <laughs> you know, that was such a popular show, but yeah, my dad had a, a monkey named cheetah. He had an elephant that would name Tom that would, you know, do everything. And my father was one of the very first ones to work lions and tigers without uh, any whips or chairs or guns. He did a comedy with 22 lions and tigers in a circus arena cage. Jeez. And he had oh a little God. stick. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and he talked. Everything was verbal cues. And, and that's the way that my father performed his lion and tiger act back in the day. And you said he's still with us, your dad? Yes, he is. He's actually going to be 80 on the 24th. Oh, wow. Now, you need to do this book before he goes. You need to get all this. This is amazing. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I'm, I'm urging you because there's 10,000 stories here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and counting. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. I, I love it. Yeah. And hey, to survive all the lions and tigers to be 80, that's that's something too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And everything else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so going back to Briarfest, um, so you put the Power of Your Dream show together. What can people expect? Uh, what's the theme and what type of uh, performances are there going to be? Oh my gosh. I think this year's Briar is going to be absolutely one of the best um, presentations um, not just because I, you know, created the whole story, but I've been um, producing Briar um, Fest, the Night of the Horse, now for the last four years, and I feel that this year um, it, it's going to be very interesting because I think it's really going to connect to the crowd. Briar Fest crowd is a lot of children, you know, ages three to fourteen. Obviously, we've got our elderly with us, but there's so it's targeted towards children. There's so many children. So the way that this storyline will go is that this little girl comes in with a plush horse. And basically, she's a little actress. Her name is Maddie. And um, there's a bedroom set on stage. And she gets into her bedroom stage, you know, um, and she just, I can't go into the whole thing because I'll give the show away. But basically... She narrates the show through her imagination and her dreams. So as she lays down and all of a sudden wakes up, you know, and looks around with the music and the lighting, she starts to pull out these, their props, but she pulls out these elements out of the toy box. And then as she looks right, it comes to life. So whatever toy that is she's pulling out of this box comes to life. So a little teaser for the Grand Liberty, she just starts pulling a lot of white briar horses out of her basket. And then there's so many that she just starts throwing them. And, you know, here comes, you know, 10 galloping horses into this huge arena, free roaming and, you know, plain and yeah and then the end part is amazing but i can't tell you about it so you're i have, have goosebumps this is such a good idea <laughs> that's awesome i yeah, love I, incorporating the children and the briar horses too that's, that's the best thing about it this little maddie becomes one of our little stars Oh, so it, it's just a really good story. Um, she She's just a really talented little girl, and she's surrounded by a cast of talent professional people. So we have Mary McCormick, you know, that's a famous uh, world vaulter. They yes. won um, the silver. I've interviewed her, her yep. on a, and she's super nice, too. Oh, she's amazing. She does a lot of shows here for me at the farm, and... I had her put a team together, so we're going to do a whole 
uh, vaulting competition performance style just for Briar with a lot of uh, amazing talent that will be joining her. And then I have um, Jerry Diaz, which um, him and his family do this amazing charro act and they have Andalusians and Frisians and they do this whole display of charro routine from passages and piaf. And then we have amazing trick riders. We have the amazing Dusty that comes from Tennessee. She worked for Dolly Parton for, gosh, I want to say at least 10 years. She was at Dixie Stampede and she does Roman riding barefooted and none of her horses are tied. She literally guides them through verbal cues and body movement. Um, we also have the amazing uh, Fairland Ferguson that was with me on Cavalia for years. And she's also an amazing trick rider. So we've got all these talented people. We have Catherine Barr um, that is a dressage. She's been doing dressage for at least 10 years and she does bridalist that she's going to come to a competition style dressage routine. And then of course there's my Liberty horses. And I know I'm forgetting somebody, but um, basically we're doing a 70 minute performance with all happy horses. It's really important for me when I'm picking the talent that um, the horses are, you know, the stars and that that reflects in our performance because for me, it's important that the horses first and um, we show off the horses and they have to be comfortable and they have to be happy. And that is, you know, a big part of my rule when I put a show on. Um, the horses are first and it's all about the horse and then about us. That's fantastic. And I want to remind people they can watch this online if they're not in Kentucky during Briarfest in July um, for all online uh, I think it's three-day pass holders can watch this online if they can't be there in person, which I can't wait. I'm out in California, so I'll be watching online, but I'm super excited. So uh, is there any uh, website where people can find you or social media accounts you'd like to tell us about? Well, right now, the only thing that we do is the Grand Liberty Farm um, Facebook page. We're so busy. Um, you know, we're with horses all day long that <laughs> We should be doing more media, but we don't. Um, I'm very private. All my lessons, people fly from all over to, you know, learn the silent language of the horse. So I'm doing lessons here at the farm every day. I've actually got one as soon as this interview is over with. But um, basically, it's Sylvia Zerbini um, at GrandLibertyFarm.com. Or, um, yeah, just look us up and you'll find us. I love today's commercials because you're doing products that I use on my pony scooter all the time. And the next one's for hands-on gloves. Horses, dogs, cats, livestock, and more don't even know that they are being groomed or deshed with the patented hands-on gloves. Hands-on outperforms traditional curry combs, bathing mitts, shedding blades, metal bristles, and any deshedder on the market. Hands-On is changing the way we bathe, de-shed, or groom our animals. Learn more at handsongloves.com. That's handsongloves.com. I just used my mine and my pony the other day. He just loves it. You use it on his itchy spots, and he just, his little lip goes, and it gets so much of the hair and grime off, and especially they roll. You give him a bath here in Florida, and we got nothing but sand, so they roll and get the sand ground in there good, uh, and it takes it right out. I, he does love He likes it more for the itchiness. Uh, than anything else. It just feels good. Handsongloves.com. Our next guest is David Brewer. David is a carded POA judge. He has judged multiple state and national shows for a variety of breeds, has been an IHSA steward, is a clinician, and is also a coach for 4-H horse judging and hippology teams. For the past 15 years, he's bred and shown Congress and world champion POAs and now paint horses from his Morningstar farm in Monteagle, Tennessee. And we'll be talking to David about breed specialization. Hi, David. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to talk to you. We did an article recently in Horse Illustrated about breed specialization and pros and cons with that. It's kind of a hot topic that gets people going. Um, so we wanted to have you on the podcast to talk more about it. Uh, but before we jump into all that, um, I just personally was curious what it's like being a show judge. Do you like doing that? Is it a lot of traveling? Would you rather be at home with your own horses? I'm just curious. I, 
I actually enjoy it. I, I really like traveling, meeting other people with different breeds, seeing what's going on in their side of the world because it's it's just different everywhere you go, depending on whether you're in the south, if you're in the west, if you're up north, um, the way shows are run differently. I just really, really enjoy it. I'm not doing quite as much judging right now. I think because we're still, you know, seeing some after effects of things that we've been through the last couple of years. So shows are trying to rebuild and they're trying to figure out how can we make it more profitable and different things. But I do enjoy traveling and going to those shows and 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 seeing other associations and, and meeting new people. And so it's it's a nice part time hobby, other than what I call our real job, which is, you know, working in the desk job and then cleaning stalls every evening and taking care of your own animals. Right. <laughs> Got a lot going on there. That's... A lot going on. <laughs> Keeps it interesting, though. That's good. Um, so when and why do you think this shift towards more specialized horses came about? Gosh, you know, from what I'm seeing, um, I, I think a lot of it happened when Everybody got on the halter click, you know, wanting to show halter horses. And I don't know if it was just that um, there was not a place for some exhibitors to show because they weren't as experienced at riding. Um, I think, you know, that's why this walk trot has been really crucial and important for the moms and dads, aunts and uncles, grandpas, grandmas, you know, that type of people. So I think when those classes weren't available, people wanted to get in the show pen and they go, let's just show halter. Let's, let's start leading these horses and I can do this. They're beautiful, you know, that sort of thing. So I really think that the shift came with the halter industry. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to guess just from my point of view we started seeing this shift kind of late 80s, early 90s, um, and then <clears throat> that's when this halter industry just kind of went boom and blew up. Mm. Yeah, I think it was the early 2000s, the first time I visited a halter barn and saw, you know, oh, these are, you know, totally different looking horses. They exercise jogging alongside the gator. You know, we don't ride them. And I was like, wow, this is whole different world that I, you know, as an English person had never seen. So it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. Uh, what breeds do you see most affected by this? I, I think quarter horses, definitely. Um, I mean, you're, you're seeing, you know, a lot of the Appaloosa trend and, and paint trend, you know, they've got a lot of that quarter horse influence in them. I think that's why you're seeing more solids in the pens with those associations. And not that that's a bad thing. It just happens when you start breeding quarter horse influence, that solid that solid color bloodline into a color breed. Uh, I think I think you're seeing some of those effects in in those breeds as well. But I I really feel strongly that predominantly it's the quarter horse industry um, where you saw those the, the biggest effect of breeding strictly for halter horses. Right. And are you seeing this to some extent in the POAs too, or not as much? You know, not as much. And I think that is because POA has just been so centered around youth and that family using pony. Um, and, and, and just to give you just a, a cliff notes version of myself, I never grew up with ponies. Um, I mean, I had a pony, but not a POA. And I didn't know much about POA until I got older. And once I got associated with the breed, fell in love with the breed, uh, and was like, this is a cool pony. Um, you do see some quarter horse and Appaloosa influence in their bloodline. <clears throat> and I think that has really strengthened, you know, the pleasure pony, the hunter under saddle pony. Uh, <clears throat> but you're not seeing that halter breeding as much in that industry because these youth still ride these ponies in everything they they do it all um so you're for lack of better terms you're still getting a halter pony that can ride right that makes sense um so what do you think would be the negative effects of specialization uh, or that you hear people criticizing about it 
I think the biggest thing is, and and not to go back to halter, but when you breed specifically for something such as a halter horse, you're not going to ride it. So it only has one job. And you've got to either have the finances to just purchase that animal to show that one division and then buy something else um, that you can ride and, and do in other classes. Um, or, you know, you, you, you just got to realize that once you do that, purchase that halter horse, that's all you're going to do is feed it and lead it. I mean, you just, you very rarely see halter horses that can perform well in the show pen under saddle. It's not that they can't, they just don't move the same. They don't look the same. You know, it's, it's just not, they're not bred to be a performance horse. Do they ever, do they go on to be trail horses for the most part? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You, You do see that a lot. You see people, you know, that will pull weight off that, off those halter horses and they'll ride them around the farm and trail ride them. And they're great for that. They have a purpose. Um, that purpose just may not be, I'm going back to the show pen and I'm going to show pleasure or I'm going to show hunter under saddle or I'm going to, that's just typically not going to happen. They will have a job outside of the show pen though. And that'd be riding on the farm, carrying grandkids around. They still will do that, but they're just, they're just not built. It's kind of like, you know, buying a, a Corvette and taking it to the mountains. Um, you know, you don't, you don't buy a sports car to go mudding in. So that's kind of how I tell my clients that, you know, if you're wanting to do this, we're going to have to look for something that's bred to do that. Not just it's pretty let's buy it. So the biggest complaint I think that people have with the halter horses in some of the disciplines is their weight. Obviously, that's not a secret. It's something that, you know, if there's complaints, that's it. Why are they getting away from them being excessively overweight? Or what? what's the story there? I know there's been talk of that over the years. Well, I think something that's helped with the quote-unquote weight issue is the addition of the performance halter classes. Um, you're seeing those nicely bred pleasure horses or all-around horses that are both, you know, balance, they have structure and, and balance that they can show halter, but they also ride well. So the performance halter classes have really helped the halter industry in saying, you know what, you don't have to be 1,500 pounds. You don't have to be 15.3 with forearms the size of watermelon, those type things. Um, so those performance halter classes have really helped that industry. And just like, I mean, just like you were talking with this excessive weight, I think the biggest problem that, and this is strictly my personal opinion, the biggest problem with that industry was that you were seeing people that were in total disregard of any kind of genetic flaws within that industry. So you were getting tiny feet, you were getting genetic disorders, that had to have special nutrition, you know, to keep them, you know, sound and keep them safe and keep them alive for, you know, lack of better terms. Is that getting better? So, the whole tiny feet getting, issue th- and all that? I, I think it is getting better. And I think it's getting better because of the extensive testing now that they're being able to do with all this five panel, six panel, 10 panel testing. People have the ability to test for these problems and go, you know what, let's don't breed that. Let's let's find something we can breed to that doesn't have that. And and I think that's helping. I really, really do. I got you know, I saw a trend where you would see halter horses that were so post legged in the back, there were no set to the hawks. They were just like straight up and down in the back. And I kinda wanna blame judges on allowing that to happen still placing those horses in that class. Well, they wouldn't you know, do it if the judges weren't placing them, right? So you kind of want to, I, I would say, yes. We're, we're, that's It comes back right. to that. And you're a judge. You know Correct. that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, shame on, shame on them for saying, you know, well, so-and-so's leading this one in. And, you know, it's really, it's not <laughs> structurally correct, you know. And that's one thing we really strive to tell our 
youth here in our 4-H programs. We've we've been, I'm going to toot my horn a little bit, we've had a very successful uh, 4-H horse judging teams uh, in our area, and the agent and myself that work with these youth, you know, we always tell them, we're like, balance, structure, muscling, in that order. If they're not balanced and they're not structurally correct, do not place them and, you know, stand firm in that. And, and because that's a total disregard to that animal if you don't, you know, take those that are superior in balance, structure, and muscling and put them to the top and and keep those around for genetic soundness and future breedings, if, you know, if they are mare, stallion, that sort of thing. So, yeah, shame on those judges for placing those post-legged uh, animals that just were not structurally correct. And, yeah, that was what I was going to get to, too, was, you know, I think of post legs and tiny feet. So um, you said that that's hopefully kind of on its way out. People are placing more, you know, usable, rideable or, you know, athletic yeah. <laughs> type of horses. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good Absolutely. thing. And, and not to just keep bashing on them, you know, because of that, but that's, that is something that you saw with that selective breeding for that one strict purpose of breeding that discipline, the small feet, the post-legged, the, you know, those were issues. Hey, Holly, before you go on, I, I, I'm going to change tone here a little bit. I am on the uh, POAC.org uh, page, which is the Pony, or, uh, Pony of, a, of the America Club. And, oh, my God, there are some cute ponies out there. And I'm a <laughs> pony guy. And I have a hackney pony and have had hackney ponies in the past. I drive. And uh, oh, just, some of these ponies are so darn cute. Oh, yeah, they, and I'm an Appaloosa person are. and a spotty person, and I like ponies, too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they they are. I was It is, and, and we love that breed. We It's a great association, and just like all associations, you know, we've gone through our dry spells and our rust spells and trying to figure out, you know, how can we bring that niche back. But but you are right. These, those little ponies, they're Gosh, they're just little gold mines. How do you they're, judge they're a wonderful. pony class where all the riders are adorable, all the ponies are spotted and adorable? <laughs> I mean, don't you just want to give everybody the blue? I mean, it's got to be tough. Listen, that's the first thing I ask when I judge is like, of course, with our breed shows, you know, we have to follow our, you know, their rule books and everything. But when we go to these state shows or these, uh, you know, saddle club shows or a local association, when you get to the lead line classes, that's one of the first things I ask them like, do I have to place the lead line or can I give them all blues? Because, <laughs> oh, I thought lead line was supposed to all get blues. That only makes sense. I, I know, I know, I know. You know. But you're right. When you have 25-year-olds in the pen and they're just, you're like, I can't place that class. You know, what are you going to do? They're all cute. <laughs> they're all cute. Oh, that's too funny. Um, well, circling back, would you say there's any upside to specialization within breeds? Um, you know, surely there's a, a flip side to the coin, do you think? There, there is. There's pros and cons with everything. And, you know, I think one thing that some breed specialization has done um, is, you know, you're, you have those horses that are, you know, they're bred to run. I mean, that's what they do. Barrels, poles, all the game. You got your cow horse breeding that has really jumped up in the ranch horse world. Um, you know that we all know that that industry is just booming, um, and so so I think that that will help numbers as far as registration goes. Because let's just think if you if you bred a horse that did everything, that one animal could possibly take the place of three. So with breed specialization, strictly breeding for pleasure horses, hunter horses, whatever, and you want to do it all, you may purchase two horses, take two horses to the show pen. You know, that's two That's two stalls, that's double entry fees, those kind of things. So, you know, there are some pros to that. It's good for the industry then. Well, that's that's definitely an upside. Yeah, people want the our industry to be healthy and flourishing, which I think uh, we can all agree. So correct, that's an correct. upside for sure. And David, do you have a website or any social accounts you would like our listeners to go to? Well, I tell you, just you know, personally, I don't have a website. I'm one of these. I, I kind of say I'm tech savvy, but. Uh, 
I don't do a lot on the computer. Um, but I, definitely, I would suggest everybody, if you're looking for a horse or, or wanting to purchase that first-time horse, check out all your, your 4-H, your local 4-H, local FFA um, websites uh, in your state or your region. Check those first. Talk to your extension agent. Um, I think extension agents uh, all across the country are going to be a, a good wealth of knowledge to get you in touch with local breeders, uh, trainers, exhibitors that you can, you know, get in there and talk to people about purchasing a horse. Um, check out your state clubs. Uh, I know our, our Pony of America Club, our Tennessee Pony of America Club, is online, and we encourage everybody to come read, you know, about the ponies and, and check that out. So just read and check with local first. That sounds like excellent advice. I would encourage everyone to follow that for sure. Well, David, thank you so much for being on with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Being in the saddle, the comforting smell of the barn, the sounds of hooves creating a satisfying melody. Perhaps these are the things that make you feel alive, inspire you, give you peace, or take all your worries away. Cowboy Magic understands the essence of the human-animal bond and the important relationships we share with our animals. That is the real magic. We invite you to share your magic moment about your horse, dog, or any four-legged companion by sharing your favorite photos with us on social media. Use the hashtag CowboyMagicMoments. And now it's time for our Adoptable Horse of the Month, and I have Heidi Garby with me, and she is with the Humane Society of North Texas in Joshua, Texas. Hi, Heidi. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. As we're doing an adoptable horse, where exactly is Joshua? Can you kind of give us a coordinates so people know exactly where you're at? Yes, we would love it if people could look up Joshua on the map. We were about 30 minutes south of Fort Worth. So if you've ever oh, been perfect. to DFW in Texas, yeah, yeah, we're North Texas. Oh, great. Terrific. And, we, mm-hmm. and most of us have been there. So, so that's, uh, I know exactly where you're at. So talk great. to us about Clara. So Clara is a gorgeous thoroughbred. If you visit her online or see her profile, you will instantly probably fall in love. She looks kind of like a model pony, at least to me. Uh, She's your classic thoroughbred, just tall, sleek, and gorgeous. She moves with this giant floaty trot. She's just fun to be around. She's super curious. She is a classic thoroughbred. So we are definitely looking for someone who has a little bit of experience with that kind of horse and in that temperament she's got really nice manners she does get really curious about the world and is always looking to see what's around her so uh, she's a really fun fun cookie to work with now she's she's what 15 now she so yep we're not entirely sure on ages there are always estimates with the horses so we believe her to be about 15 she does have a lip tattoo, but we've been unable to match that correctly to any of our records. So we don't know her if yeah, she has a racing history past exactly. Yep. But uh, yeah, we think she's about 15 and also about 15, three hands. So she's not gigantic, but she does have, again, that, that taller stature. And what does she do? Does she do anything currently under saddle or was she used as a broodmare or do we know? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't know a lot of history. So she came to us as part of what we call a negotiated release. And someone had picked this girl up and just got a little bit overwhelmed with the care needed for for this type of horse. So she unfortunately came in under a weight and we need to do a lot of refeeding and really get some confidence back for her. She was very sweet from the get-go, so we knew we had a, a gem. She just needed the right person and the right team to get her jump started. So she's finally now at a good weight. She stands great for the farrier and the vets. And we've just, in the last couple of weeks, started working with uh, her under saddle. So we haven't climbed aboard yet. Uh, in fact, we have a fun social media post going out sometime soon here in the next week or so as we, we have a pair of fake uh, jeans essentially uh, stuffed that we put on her back to simulate a rider and she's done great with that uh, riding around those those jeans so uh, we're excited to see what she can do next she has no limitations she's again got this huge stride so we're, we're really excited she could go in a lot of directions still i feel so bad about her half a tail she says her, her tail's really short, must have had trouble with the tail at some point. But <laughs> Well, and I guess maybe part of the, the lack of nutrition, you yeah, know, and, and it'll grow out. that kind of horse. But yeah, yep, she's getting all the good nutrition now, so she's flicked out, and 
uh, just looks super shiny and, and incredible. So, yeah, I'm sure Holly will agree. What, what's possible? Holly will agree with me. She has a very sweet eye. She's just she's she adorable. Does. Yes, she yes. is cute. Yep. I, I know these she, redhead thoroughbreds get me going every time. <laughs> I want them all. She has a little that's star. Definitely. I love that you said the. Yep, the little star and the eyes. We always look for that. That's the the telltale. We've got all these amazing horses, and you know some of them just have that special twinkle in their eye, and you go, "Yes, that that one's extra special." Of course, we love them all. But. Well, and, and nice thing about getting a thoroughbred that's fifteen, even if it isn't uh, you know super trained, is they're a little bit more mature and easier to deal with than the three year olds coming off the track. So um, a little more mature. Yep, yep. she's not going to maybe make some of the mistakes that a younger one might, and and she's. Yeah, she's that no limitations. Like I said, there are no injuries that we can see. Uh, we have all of our horses vet checked, so you can be confident that you know what you're getting. And, of course, people can do pre-purchase exams also if, if they'd like to invest in that as well. How does adoption work with you guys, and, and what's the adoption fee for Clara? Great question. So the adoption process, we try to make as simple as possible. We don't want to have barriers to people coming to meet the horses. It's really about matchmaking. So what we'll do is hopefully when, when folks hear about her, they'll reach out to us when we will have all sorts of conversations about what this horse uh, needs and what the person is looking for. And essentially it's just a, a fun matchmaking process where we're really trying to work for the folks that contact us and then uh, again, work for our horses to find what would be the perfect match for them. So uh, once, once we think we have a good match, we'd love to introduce in person and uh, see what's possible. So we have her listed at about $1,000 right now. And of course, as her skills grow, uh, her adoption fee will go up. Uh, so once we learn a little bit more about her understandable abilities, that, that may increase. But it's all about finding the right home for the right person and the right animal. Very good. Well, we're going to put a link to Clara in our show notes, so you can just scroll right over and click on Clara and go go take a look at Clara. And she's with the Humane Society of North Texas in Joshua, Texas. Thanks, Heidi, for joining us. Yep. Thank you so much for your time. We had some interesting guests today. I gotta tell you, I am going to put I'm going to put one of my writer friends in touch with Sylvia because she needs to have a book about her family. What an incredible life they've all led. I know. I want to read that book yesterday. So I, definitely, <laughs> especially before her dad, you know, is no longer with us. She's got. We got to get all that written down. It's so sad yeah. that some of this history, you know, you get busy, and as she said, you know, you're busy training and teaching and taking care of horses, and then all of a sudden your family's gone, and then there's just these memories and nobody's written it down anything right i know uh, and so many people would want to hear about that i mean when i heard nine generations i was like well i want to know the whole story i want to know about all nine of them <laughs> right exactly but especially her dad when the stories with her oh. dad that's yeah. just incredible well and and then i'm glad we got into the topic that we did uh with our second guest david you know and talked a little bit about the issues there and I'm, he was very candid and that's great i'm glad he was uh you know he's a judge he knows what goes on um mm -hmm. but uh and hopefully what he says is correct that we are seeing some improvements you know and in all disciplines not just that one but you know in all disciplines yeah. we have to I yeah mean, exactly i mean any horse sport there's you know, some downside to it, something that, you know, is sort of like a... Every discipline so, has its issues. Every discipline has yeah. its trainers that aren't great. You know, it's true. Exactly. Of, we don't want to pick on one, but, you know, this just happens to be the one that he talked about in the article. So we wanted to hear more about it. And I know it's one that I've heard a lot about over the years, but I'm no expert. So it was very interesting to get his take on that. And it's true. I mean, it's true outside the horse world where you're talking about golf or tennis or whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. It just happens that we have animals that people like to target and go, hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that with your animals. So there was a very interesting poll. I don't know if you saw it in uh, England last week. Did you read that on Horse and Hound? So no. it was very interesting. They asked like 2,500 normal people whether they thought about horse sports and 20% of them that thought anything you do with a horse is bad for the horse. 40% of them were on the edge of saying that it needs to be cleaned up, people need to do better by their horses. So that means that 60% of people thought horse sports had a problem. 
And these were just general kind of, people. Kind of negative view. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the perception, though. And perception, mm-hmm. in this case, when Pete is involved and everybody else, is reality. So we have to do better. We just have to always be trying to do better. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Totally agree. And that's what your magazine does. I mean, your magazine does it. We try and do it over here. So, you know, Horse Illustrated's been about that for... God, how long have you guys been around? 50 years? It seems uh, like 50 we years. We are closing in on 50 in a couple of years. I thought it had to be. I thought it had to be that long. Yep. Wow. Have you ever, do you go back and look, do you have an archive of the original ones? I don't have it um, in my office, but we do have going back to the early 80s, which was when the original uh, company I worked for purchased the magazine and then we were able to locate issue one on ebay and i have seen it <laughs> it's and a it's bad you amazing. had to find it on ebay <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing the cowboy hats back then looked like a giant taco <laughs> sitting on your head and there were funny like uh you know clothing ads and it was just amazing uh, you know what could be fun is on the next episode go back to one of the earliest uh, uh issues you have and do actually discuss one of the articles that was in it. You know, go back in yeah, time and take yeah. a look at kind of like a time capsule. That could be fun. Absolutely. Good idea. Yeah. I like that. There's a good segment for you. Um, well, thank you. So You notice I signed that to you and not me. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Holly, thanks a bunch. And let's, okay. uh, again, we want to thank our sponsors, don't we? Absolutely. We want to thank Straight Arrow, family of brands, the makers of Mane and Tail, Cowboy Magic, and Exhibitors. With over 100 years of combined grooming experience, Straight Arrow strives to stay consistent to their mission and create quality products made in the United States that offer high performance for both horses and their riders. For more information about your favorite products, visit straightarrowinc.com or find it at a a tech shop near you. And uh, Horse Illustrated obviously can be found at horseillustrated.com. For the links to today's guests, you can find those. And also Clara, don't forget about Clara. There's a link there, too, at horsesinthemorning.com. Or you can go to horseillustrated.com slash podcast. And, of course, you can follow Horses in the Morning right here uh, on your podcast player. You're already subscribed. And if you're not subscribed, you should be. So hit the subscribe button. I wanted to mention that tomorrow, uh, Jamie and I will be here. And uh, later on in the week, uh, we have some really bad ads coming up and probably giving away some prizes. So you're going to want to tune in for that as well. Happy reading and writing. 